we understand that we're on this uh, spinning rock for a certain amount of time. And it's like, why, why not see which limits we can take our business to, which limits we can take our relationship to, and which limits we can take our, our help to, mm. right? In, in essence, otherwise, we're, we're just allowing ourselves to play at a lesser potential than is within us. Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Today's episode is going to be super fun because every time I talk to this human who is like a superhuman who owns a company called Suprahuman, um, I just get so much. And and John Madsen's on the podcast. I'm not going to steal thunder from his story because I'm sure we'll get into it. But one of the things that this guy has really challenged me around is my mindset around health, longevity. And you know, there's so many of us listening to this podcast right now that have put financial freedom, investing business at the forefront, even family. I know one of my guiding lights is like everything I do is for my family. I talk often about relationships, experiences, and memories, because really, this is the Investing for Freedom show. And the reason why we're doing all of that is for those things. But at the end of the day, if we're not taking care of ourselves, if we're not showing up you know, healthy and full of energy and all of that, then what's it all for? And by the way, if I die when I'm you know, 42 or 52 or whatever the age is, then what was it all for? And if there's one guy who has really challenged my thinking around this, it's John Madsen. So brother, thank you for being on the show. Dude, thank you for having me, man. Excited for the conversation and, and appreciate you as a, as a friend, man. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's been good to get to know you. We're in a group together called The Wellspring, but you know, just seeing the way that you approach um, health, fitness, and life and bringing that together has been super balancing. And one of the things that you know, I found challenging over time um, is just, you know, making sure that I make time for that. And I love your approach because you're of the school of thought that it doesn't have to be three workouts a day and seven days a week. And we don't have to do all these crazy extreme things. And I think that that's what life is really all about. I mean, even work-life balance, I don't really believe in that. I think everything kind of has to be integration. And I feel like that's your protocol when it comes to health. Yeah, man. One thing I realized is that at the root of, of most of us, we have the desire to be the hero and we're the hero in our own story. And so if you think about this hero's journey where I watch all the movies, my daughter's five years old and all the movies, there's the hero, right? And then there's a villain and the story is of the hero's journey. And so a lot of us ha have this kind of program running in our minds where everything has to be difficult so that we can overcome, so that we can be the hero. And what happens sometimes is people make things much more difficult than they need to be. And so in fitness, a lot of my clientele are, you know, Fortune 500 CEOs, top on entrepreneurs, they have interests way outside of fitness, but they want to be fit too. And it was interesting, as I started building this business, they they'd get on the sales calls, and they'd be like, John, I just need someone to, you know, beat me up. And I'm like, well, what what's the purpose of, uh, of that? Right. And so a lot of guys will do things like 75 hard and do two a days and um, make make the fitness component hard for whatever reason. And I believe it's to fulfill that hero's journey where, in my opinion, I'd rather just get the result because in business, it would be like saying, hey, I want the IRS to audit me just to make my life very, very difficult so I can overcome it. And it makes no sense. Um, in business, why you'd want to make it harder than it needs to be, but people do that in fitness all the time. And so I just try to try to really uh, help a person break through that pattern, so that they can get results in the easiest way possible. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's definitely not as hard as what people make it out to be. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And for context, before we get into, you know, a million things that we're probably going to get into, you're, you're not and I, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say it the way that I'm thinking about this. You're not some 24-year-old kid that you know has been in the gym that decided to become a trainer 
that's, you know, a health influencer. I mean, you've got a pretty deep background. Why don't you go into that a little bit? I mean, you have your Raiders jersey kind of in the back if we're watching this on video. Why don't you kind of take us through your journey um, of how you got to where you're at? Yeah, man. So I, I was an athlete growing up. Everything I remember was of sports. But to make this story, you know, long story very short, when I was in 10th grade, I was going out for the football team. And the first thing that we had to do was go and do summer conditioning to get ready for the season. And so it was the first time I entered uh, a gym setting with weights. And I'll never forget this day because the coach had us max out on bench, squat, deadlift, and, you know, power clean stuff that I've never done before. Up until that point, it was playing baseball in the baseball diamonds, doing sports on, you know, on the basketball court or playing football on the football field. And so I entered this gym with five of my friends and bench press looked the least intimidating of the lifts that we were supposed to do. And so we went in the back corner and as we were warming up, they all put 25 pounds on both sides of the bar, which is 95 pounds on an Olympic bar, repped it out a couple of times because they were going to see what their max was. Well, they thought I was warming up. Someone lifted the bar off the bench and the bar crushes my chest. Mm. And not only did it crush my sternum, it, it it essentially crushed my confidence. And as high school kids would, you know, they're they're joking around and calling me names and calling me weak. And I was laughing with them. But really, like in my heart, I felt that confidence shatter. And I looked around the room. And in an instance, I decided that I was not going to play football, something I had done since I was 10 years old. And so I went home that day and I was like, dad, you know, this happened in the gym. Um, I want to get strong. It was innate in me that like, this was an insecurity now. And I had two choices. I could either just, you know, say, I'm not ever going to do that again. But I was like, I, I want to get strong because in my head, I was like, one day I'm going to be strong and powerful and I'm going to show all my friends. And so what happened was I, I started working out with my dad and then it got to the point where he put me with this strength and conditioning coach at the local gym. And this guy for three years just beat the crap out of me, literally just built me up. He built my body up. But not only did I see my body change, I, I realized that my confidence in the way that I thought changed. And so I fell in love with fitness by, by you know, the time I was 16, 17, 18 years old. Well, I never played a single down of high school football. I was a basketball player in high school. I didn't have any scholarship offers at graduation. And I went to walk on to the basketball team at a local junior college, 90 minutes out of Salt Lake City. And uh, as I talked to the coach, he said, John, we're not going to have, we're not going to take a single person from the walk-on tryouts. I don't know if you can play basketball or not, but my advice to you is if you want to play in college, you've got to do it somewhere else. Well, at this point, it was too late, right? And so my dad asked me, like, what are you going to do? And I said, let's go talk to the football coaches. And, you know, he looked at me like I was kind of crazy. But we essentially took a basketball highlight VHS film, knocked on the football coach's office, and I walked in there and said, hey, guys, uh, I haven't played football for three years, never played high school, but I think I could be a pretty good wide receiver. Um, I just want a shot. And my exact words were, if I suck, you can cut me. I just want a shot. And so they looked at me like I was crazy. They're like, well, you know, you can come try out. And so they gave me a, a roster spot to try out to walk on. And essentially, I turned that opportunity into a three and a half year NFL career where I scored a couple of touchdowns and lived a childhood dream. But it all started with fitness. Wow, it's crazy, man. What um, just to kind of I, I think I know the answer to this, but what was it? What was it in you that made you even confident enough to walk in that office and make that statement? So it was, it was the training. So I was a kid, I was, I was a, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, five foot five. And I, at this point, you know, when I said I was scrawny in high school, I, I was essentially six foot four, 160 pounds at one point. So just like a bean pole. But with working with this trainer, I ended up at graduation six, four, about 190 pounds. So 30 solid pounds from the gym. Not only that, I went from being able to, you know, kind of dunk a basketball to 360, like really dunk a basketball. So I knew I could run. I knew I could jump. I knew I was a, a really good athlete. I was just kind of a late bloomer. And what had happened was the training actually like it, it brought this confidence into my life. And so I, I would tell you that the confidence came from watching my body transform in that three year period and knowing that I had the ability to 
go and play in football because I did have some of those friends that were in high school. They, they were not walk-ons. They had some scholarships to the same college. And in my head, I'm like, I'm bigger than them. I'm faster than them. I'm stronger than them. I'm more athletic than them. If they can play, then all the, all I got to do is get in front of these coaches. So that confidence was built from training. Yeah, that's crazy. You, you put this post up. Um, and if there's one thing you're really good at, you really understand, um, us as humans and specifically your ideal avatar, if you will. But you put this post up to kind of stop me in my tracks one time. And it was talking about how, you know, as like high performing business owners, entrepreneurs, you know, we, we tend to like try to find the hack. I'm paraphrasing here. I'll let you say it the way you did, but we tend to find like, try to find a hack or like outsource everything, find a who one of my mentors is always talking about who, not how we're always trying to find like the fastest, easiest, quickest way to scale and to get things done easier. And, and you made this post and you said that, you know, the problem with us entrepreneurs is we're always outsourcing everything and you can't outsource your health. Can you kind of elaborate on that? Cause this was like a, this was like a whoa moment for me. Yeah, man. So I, I work with some extremely successful guys sometimes, right? And, and first we have to understand, you know, how and why a person is motivated. And, and the reason is, Think about this in, in like uh, in the court of law, right? In order to pin a crime on somebody, they have to find a what? A motive, right? And so a lot of times gurus are talking about motivation doesn't matter. It's all about discipline. Well, if 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 that's the case, you know, some people might love discipline, but they're motivated to be the most disciplined person in the world. So I always rewind it like, what what's the actual motive for fitness in the first place? And a lot of times people are very motivated away from a painful moment. That might mean that, you know what, business has been something they chased for a long time. And then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, they step on the scale and they see a number, they're like, Oh, my God. And then they look at themselves in the mirror. They're like, I got 50 pounds to lose. How did this happen? And they're motivated away from that moment. So it's like there's this painful moment. And then they're motivated to do something when it comes to fitness. So they snap into action. And their brains start going, how can I how can I like be efficient with this, which is a good way to think. But what happens is, unlike business, they try to outsource things that can't be outsourced. And so, or they outsource things that could make things more efficient. But even if they were to get the result, now they don't have the understanding to go with it. So, so someone in that situation might be like, Hey, John, can you just, is there a meal prep company that you can just send me all the meals and I can just eat it? And it's like, okay, that would be, um, that that would ensure that we get results if you just eat exactly what I told you to eat for 12 weeks, but the person's motivated away from pain. And so what happens is the person starts to get results, the, the pain gets less and less, and then the motivation dissipates a little bit. So they so even if they hit their goal, lose 30 pounds, lose 40 pounds, they did it in a way where they outsourced the understanding. And now they're not going to do that for the rest of their lives. And so they're not going to eat out of a plastic container for 10 years. And so as soon as they stop, they go right back to where they were. And then it's a cycle of like doing things the wrong way, um, getting a little bit of results away from the pain and then sliding back into that painful moment. And it's always this, I'm not in very good shape. I get in good shape. I slide back 10 years running, where if you look at a lot of the clients and the testimonials and the before and after pictures, we have hundreds of them. It, it, it's It's different. It's not we lose 20 pounds and slide back. It's we we have some of the most epic transformations people have ever seen because there's a switch that needs to go off at some point where it's not enough just to be motivated away from pain. You have to be motivated toward excellence. And so you have to fall in love with this idea that you are you, you can create the most epic creation in yourself and show up as your best self. And if a person can't fall in love with that, then they're usually just going to fall somewhere in the middle and slide back and forth. But um, a lot of these entrepreneurs would try to outsource some of the stuff that it actually takes to get to that point. And one of the things is an actual understanding of how the body works. So my philosophy is, I'm not just going to give you a fish so that you can get a result. I'm going to teach you how to fish for a lifetime, which means I'm going to teach you the ways so that once if I can get you to buy into being excellent, you're never going to wonder or struggle about this problem again. It's going to be inside your head. And at that point, if you decided to go backwards, it, you would knowingly be doing it. Yeah, it's so I'm going to lay myself on the altar here for a second, because as you're saying all that, it's so funny, the psychology, because I have spent 
hours, like probably hundreds of hours learning about biohacking and like shortcuts and just trying to find like the hack rather than just, you know, good old nutrition, exercise, just, I guess, number one, like, what, what do you, what do you think? And I know that, you know, not all of that stuff's bad, but what do you think that is about our, our nature? Is it just, we don't, we want to take the easy route? Yeah. I mean, I think so, especially in, in something that like fitness, that's not like a number one priority. Like, um, it should be right. Your body and your health should, you know, from an idealist, ill idealist standpoint, it should be. But the fact of the matter is most of my guys aren't trying to win bodybuilding competitions. They're not trying to win powerlifting competitions. They're not playing on Sundays anymore. Um, they want to be healthy, but they're not winning any medals for, for this game of, of fitness. Right. And so it's like, what's the easiest thing that I can do to, to just like work so that I don't have to think too much about it. And, and, you know, that might be getting meals sent to your doorstep that you don't have to think about. It could be like, Hey, this, I, I heard about intermittent fasting. This is so easy. I just don't eat until noon. And then I don't eat after eight and I don't have to think much more. And I'm going to eat two meals a day. And that works for a while. Right. Or it might be doing something like keto where it's, uh, I'm just going to cut out carbs. You know, carbs are bad. Not going to eat any carbs, protein, vegetables, just going to do that. Don't got to think too much about it. And, and what people don't understand is all these, all these diets, uh, work by the same mechanism, right? And there's some benefits of other things and there's different tools that, you know, we could get scientific about, but essentially at the simplest form, whether it's keto, intermittent fasting, uh, Atkins, you go vegan. If a person's losing weight, they just put themselves in a caloric deficit and they did so without having to think too much about it. And so a lot of times people work with like within restraints really well. And it's like, oh, cool. This is a yes or a no. There's no gray area. And that works until it doesn't. Right. And most people aren't going to go keto for the rest of their life. They're not going to go uh, vegetarian. A lot of them don't go for the rest of their lives. They're not going to do intermittent fasting for the rest of their lives. And so I just have a legitimate issue with not seeing those things for what they are, which in my, in my view is a tool that we can utilize sometimes, but not all the time. And really helping a person understand calories, proteins, carbohydrates, and fats and how to manipulate those things in the most efficient way possible so that at least they understand that nothing is really off the table. All, all those things, proteins, carbohydrates, fats are like a bank account, right? And it's like, we have an allotment each and every day. And mine is different than yours. Yours is different than your wife's. Your wife's is different than her sister's. And depending on our metabolic makeup and some genetic factors and how much muscle mass we have, everybody's is different. So not one approach works the same for everybody. But essentially, we have a bunch of people in America overspending their calories. It's like they're just swiping credit cards. And that's why they walk around looking like out of shape banks instead of superheroes for their kids. So crazy, man. I heard you, I, I heard you say um, something about, you know, one of your clients said that they, they felt really great, or they've never felt this great. And you made this comment about how you're actually feeling normal, finally. And it got me thinking, and I don't know, maybe this is just in my head, but I would love your perspective on this. I've struggled with this for a while. Um, you know, when I when I've got a business mind and when I look at a business plan or model or I have some new vision in business, like I kind of can see if I do these steps, it's going to get me to X, Y, Z. The thing that I've kind of struggled with is, I mean, I know I need to be healthy. I, I know I need to do all the things. But when I think about, you know, 20 years down the road or whatever, when you were talking about how not all of us are training for some, you know, sports thing or a medal or whatever, how do you, how do you get us, how do you get us to switch our mindset around that? Um, because I've known for a while and Kara's pretty fit. Like I don't have any great excuses because, you know, she's been training a lot longer than me. She understands food. She works out a lot more. I've learned so much from her, but until like recently, it didn't become real for me. Is there any like tips and tricks that you can get for us to think about our psychology different? Or does everybody just have their awakening when they have their awakening? I think the master key to, to life in general is understanding your own motives, right? 
but it, but it's not the surface motives. It's not it's not like the conscious minds uh, why you should want it because the, the, it's not the truth, right? And so a lot of people's like they want to get healthy for their kids, or they want to, or they just don't want to be, you know, they, they don't want to die early or whatever, right? And so that they got the right reasons, but they don't understand the raw reasons, right? And the unconscious mind is uh, is a mind that works off not logic but emotion. And so when people set goals, it's a conscious activity, right? It's like you set goals consciously, but if you're going to achieve them, whether it's money or fitness, it's an un- it's the unconscious that drives you towards the goals. It's all the little micro behaviors, millions and millions and millions of them that line up that will ultimately take you to the goal, right? And so uh, the whether or not the unconscious mind is going to be on board with you or not is how emotional that reason actually is. So if you think about my reason for fitness, I was embarrassed, right? My confidence was shattered when I was 16 years old. I made a decision that day that was like, I will be strong and powerful and all of you guys will see me one day. And it took me all the way to the NFL. That that emotional reason was there. And so uh, one of my most popular podcasts was a, was an episode where I said, why, marry, why successful married men suck at fitness? And they're the hardest group in the world to get like really fit. I'm not talking about winning bodybuilding shows. I'm just like, if you go to the beach or you go to Cabo and you go to one of those five-star resorts, you take off your shirt and people's like, dude, what do you like? What do you do like that? It's, it's out of the normal to see a guy that's just jacked and in shape like that. Right. And the reason it's hard for married guys, because their, their primal, uh, drive is not fitness. It's money at this point. Right. And so they've like, they're chasing money. The unconscious mind is like helping them chase this desire to win the money game for whatever reason. But they're married, their wife loves them, they have a couple great kids, the kids, you know, go to great schools and great neighborhoods, maybe, you know, private schools, but there's a couple Mercedes in the driveway. And it's like, you know what, like, why is it actually, why does it actually matter to have a six pack or not? And in their mind, it doesn't matter anymore. Right. But what happens to that person when, uh, you know, their wife decides that, you know, life isn't good, and she goes away, right? And some people get divorced and I, I work with these people and they can struggle with fitness for 10 years. But in a moment, they're like, they're, they're back, right? Mm-hmm. Why are they back? Because it's evolutionary. It's wired into our, into our being as human beings that um, we're wired to, you know, attract the opposite sex. And so it's innate that when that is taken away, it's like, oh my God, I got to get in shape. I'm in the dating circuit again. Right. And so it's like the easiest person to ever train as a trainer is like someone that's someone that is divorced. Unfortunately, they'll eat chicken and ice chips for 12 weeks. They'll do anything. Right. Because why their motive is so great. And so um, what the only thing I can do and try to help wake a person up and what I think we do probably better than anywhere in in the world. and And it shows in the transformations is I try to elicit this motive in somebody, I can't give it to them. They can either they can either wake it up in themselves or decide that it's not worth it, that I get excited to be the very best version of me every time I walk into the room. Mm. I see the different scenarios of, you know, when I'm on vacation in a five-star resort and I'm walking around in a swimsuit and, and it's not about other people, but their minds are like, dude, like, how, how, how does that happen, right? When I drop my kids off at, at school, like I get out of the car and it's like, there's a presence when I go into the boardroom, when I'm negotiating with someone, if I'm in the, if I'm thinking about walking into the bedroom with my wife, there's always a scenario where I want to show up as my most elite and excellent self. And that is an innate motivation for me. Like it's, it's internal, right? It's not, I'm trying to win a medal. It doesn't end at any time. It's every single day I want to get better. And so I'm just in love with that process. And if, if a person doesn't have that, they're always going to struggle a little bit in fitness. Because uh, the fact is, most people that I work with aren't sick. Their doctor's not telling them they're going to die. They have good lives. It, it's like they don't really need a six pack, but it's not about need. It's about want, right? So it, it's about waking that want and that desire up. And if if a person can't, then it, it's always like this. I kind of want this, but I but I don't really. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes so much sense too. And we were chilling in a hot tub at the Phoenician in Phoenix and 
you you made this comment to me. You said, you know, look around and there's, you know, everybody that we were with is is successful. And it's like, in this group that we're with, we're all okay talking about why we want to make money. Money's not a bad thing. There's so many people that think that like making more money, you know, money doesn't grow on trees, all these bad, you know, philosophies around money. And even this show, like investing for freedom, I don't really, I had a marketing guy that was trying to get me to get like the seven levels of philosophical freedom and all this stuff. And I'm like, dude, I don't even think that any of that for me matters. Like freedom to me is like geographic, relational. Um, Yeah, it's financial, but that's just one motivator for me. And when I was talking to one of my coaches, and this was actually probably three or four weeks before you said this, I was chatting with one of my coaches, uh, his name's John Ryan. And he said, he asked me this question. He's like, you know what? what was like one of the first moments when you're like, I, I just want more financial freedom. And it was really, it was a moment in time when Kara and I first started flying like first class. So when we go on business trips, we'd fly first class. But then when I would take my family on trips, we'd fly in the back of the plane. Because, you know, I mean, first class for two people on a, on a vacation is, yeah, it's expensive, but you know, we earned it, whatever. But when I have my whole family, I'm like, man, this is getting kind of expensive to fly to Hawaii. And I love what Jim Dew says too, like make rich real. But the way you said it, and what I was telling my coach was, you know, I just don't ever want money to dictate how I spend my life. If I want to go to Dubai, and I want to fly my entire family in first class on Emirates, dang it, I want to just be able to do that just for that reason. And you made this comment just a few weeks later, when we were in the hot tub, you said, you know, so many people around us are okay saying why they want to make more money. But yet we think it's vanity to say, you know, when I take my shirt off on a beach, I just want to look and feel good. Mm -hmm. It's that simple. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think in the entrepreneur world, like we, we've overcome that uh, connotation, money equals greed, right? Or we wouldn't, at some level, like we we've already tackled that in our mind, however, however, we've been able to do so. But if you look at a lot of other people that might be family members of yours or friends that haven't really figured that out, it's very easy to see that on one hand, they want to make more money. But on the other hand, it's like a negative connotation to them, right? And so you can see the inner conflict where it's like, you know, until they get fully congruent and aligned, to this idea of wanting and being okay with having not not only wanting more money, but having it and what that might mean, the different relationships and whatnot. It's the same thing with fitness with so so money and greed is the same thing as fitness and vanity, same thing. And at the very extremes, yes, like people can be greedy that have a lot of money. And people could also be too vain where it like is a is a detriment to their life. But what I always try to try to get out of people and when I know they're about to transform massively, it's when they finally allow themselves to want what they really want that they're not willing to actually admit out loud, which is sometimes the guy's like, dude, you know what? I really freaking do want to look incredible. And, and that's okay for him. And as soon as it's okay for him to admit it to, to himself, it's like the, the alignment and the congruence locks in and it's a much easier goal because usually uh, a lot of times people are like, you know what? I'm going to start this fitness thing. And if they were to really think about why, there's a little piece of them that wants to to look better. I don't know anybody that goes to the gym that's like pumping weights and not thinking or not looking at themselves in the mirror a little bit and being like, damn, like putting a lot of effort into this. Why don't I actually look like it? Right. And so what happens is, is like they fall in love with the fitness. Then, then it becomes a goal that's like, maybe my genetics aren't meant for a six pack, or maybe I'm too old, or maybe it doesn't matter that much. And then they change the goal to a lesser goal that's more attainable, which is like, I'm going to go run 5k races, or that turns into like, I'm going to go run uh, Ironmans or sprint triathlons, right? And so they go on this wild goose chase of chasing fitness. And at the root of a desire is still I want to look a certain way, but then they go off and do all this other stuff. And, and they never really complete the loop, which is, do I actually want to look like an athlete? Um, and I'm doing all this other stuff to satisfy that, but it's actually not making a difference. I talked to a guy who, uh, finally had this breakthrough. His name was Ryan and he was on the phone with me and he said, uh, he was telling me all these triathlons that he was training for and he was going to train for an Ironman. I said, Ryan, um, why do you do those, these things? And he's like, well, you know, I want to push myself. I want to see what I can accomplish. It, it means something to finish these things. And I'm like, 
uh, does any piece of you truly like, does any, are you doing any of this because you want to, you think it's going to help you look, uh, any better. And it just stopped him because he never got asked that question like that. And, uh, he said, I do want to look better. And, uh, it feels weird to say that, but I essentially was, if I'm being really, really honest with myself, I started this to look better. And now all of a sudden I'm the, the goal changed into this, but I really, I really want to want to change the way that I look. And I'm like, well, you're spending hours of training away from your kids and your wife. It's, it's a crazy amount of training. Like literally we could divide all your training hours by probably three train for four hours a week and just focus on the stuff that matters and you're going to look incredible. And I have this before and after of him doing Ironmans, which he looks just like an average dude. And then this after picture about six months later where we didn't even do any cardio and the dude has like eight abs and he's just completely jacked. And, and it wasn't until he realized what his real goal was and he allowed himself to be okay with wanting that goal, right? Because if if somebody has vanity in their mind and they think it's a bad thing, it's like they'll suppress the reason and just squash it. And then they'll go off and do all these other things to satisfy what and not acknowledge what was really underneath it all. So congruence is key in achieving any goal. You know, I, I love that. I mean, because even when I was talking about a few minutes ago, when I asked you to kind of dive into this, I'm like, what I've struggled with for a long time is, hey, I want to live to 60, 70, 80, and it's so far out there. And I even still come back to it. And the reality is, you know, even as you were talking about that, I went on a trip with some friends, I don't know, it was probably two years ago. And I was the chubbiest one of the group. Like, you know, there's all this conversation in business and mindset, you know, you're, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And usually it's about like money and business and success. But man, I was looking around, uh, Karen and I were with like four other couples on this yacht and in Miami and man, everybody's looking pretty good. Like, and they're happy and they're fit, you know? And, um, man, I was, I was the chubby guy there. And if we're being completely honest, like it was one of those moments where I'm like, man, I got to get my shit together mm -hmm. because <laughs> this is, I, Liz, I don't want to be like, well, I shouldn't even say that this might've been a, a detractor even right there, but I don't, I don't want to be an elite athlete. Let me say it that way. I was going to say, I don't want to be the most chiseled guy in the world. And I don't know if I actually do want that, but you know, to be, to feel good and to look good when you kind of shook me, you didn't actually shake me, but when you kind of shook me in the hot tub, it was like a culmination of what I'd been thinking and feeling, but you kind of almost addressed it and gave me permission to just feel it. And that's super important. Yeah. What, dude, when it comes to fitness, it's almost like, you know, you, 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 have the capability of making a hundred million, right? And you stop at 10. And you're like, oh, it's good enough. Mm. Right? Well, there's some people that it, that's not good enough. And they're they're going to go for the real goal, which is a hundred million. Same thing in fitness. It's like most people get to a point and it's like equivalent to, hey, there's a hundred million dollar goal, but you're stopping at the ten million dollar goal because it's good enough. Some people just choose not to accept anything that less that's less than their God-given potential. And I'm one of those people that is so in internally motivated to see what I'm capable of. It, it, it translates into business and fitness in the same way where it's not good enough just to be good enough. I want to see what I'm capable of. And the cool thing about fitness is, is simply like, if that's somebody listening and you're like, okay, what do I do? It, it's very simple. It's you, tr you train with a thought out training program four times a week for an hour, three or four times. If you love the gym, like I love it, maybe five, but never seven. And we're not doing any two a days. You don't have to go to the gym in the morning and then do cardio later. It's three to five hours a week out of 168 with a well thought out training program where essentially over time, you're going to be in a progressive overload situation where you have to go to the gym with the right intention and mentality, which is the only reason you're in the gym is not to burn calories. In fact, that's a very stupid reason to go to the gym. The reason you're in the gym is to elicit an adaptation to your muscle cells so that they have to repair and grow so that over time they're like, whoa, John, that was, you know, that, that was a lot. They have to adapt because we're adaptive creatures, right? And so they adapt so that they can handle the same load the next time. 
And, and so you essentially just keep stacking that over time. But I have in my mind that I'm always going to work out four times a week. If I go on vacation to Hawaii, I might take a week off. But as soon as I get back, it's a, it's a four hours a week. And I'm going there to train with resistance until I'm 90 years old. It's like, I can't not do it, right? It's part of my identity, which is why it's easy for me. And then essentially, it's understanding food in a way where everything that comes across on your plate, or if you open up a menu, you're, you're looking at stuff from the perspective of essentially carbohydrates, proteins, and fats, right? I have a calculator in my mind now, and anybody in my program after a little bit of doing this will never look at food the same. And they understand like how to order when they go out, how to eat 90% of the time so that they can have fun the 10% of the time. We don't have to be perfect, but it's essentially resistance training three to five hours a week, understanding nutrition in terms of proteins, fats, and carbohydrates, getting to the point where you can look at food and know essentially how much your body needs for you, right? And then ultimately making sure you're active enough. A lot of us are remote now. We work from computers. It's like, make sure you get 10,000 steps per day or more just to make sure you're not sedentary seven hours of sleep and make sure you're adequately hydrated. That's it. Like there, there, there's no cardio trick. There's no magic pill. You don't have to do scammy supplements. You don't have to go to the gym and feel like you're dying and laying in a puddle of sweat. There's nothing else more required. And it's week after week, after week, after month, after month, after year, after year. And it's like five years is going to pass anyways. But what if you just did that for five years and then you'd be the guy on the boat with a hundred million dollars or more in your bank account, and you'd be the most fit out of anyone in your circle. And people's like, how did you do that? And it's just consistency, man. Probably how you teach people, you know, with, with our money, it's like massive consistency. And then at a certain point, it's the love of the process that then makes the result super easy. And yet most people just have the short-term thinking and fitness. It's like, I'm gonna do something for 12 weeks and go really hard. And then it's, it's just the consistency never takes over. And so the good news for people is it's actually not that hard to do. It's not rocket science. The, the bad news is it's repetitive for years and most people get bored, right? Most people get bored. So one of the biggest mistakes I see people make is they join fitness classes or F45s or orange theories or by Pelotons where their intention in work, their intention working out is to how much they can sweat or how much, how hard they can make it feel. So that it's essentially, it's a burning calories goal. And that has essentially nothing to do with anything because you could go burn 400 calories in a session, do a bunch of burpees, jump rope, you're laying in a puddle of sweat. You're like, oh my God, that was hard. And essentially you made your body hungrier. You go have two extra scoops of peanut butter and you nullify the death workout that you just put yourself through. Like I hardly ever sweat when I work out. I go out there, I'll do a set, I'll rest for three minutes, I'll push the intensity in the set, rest for three minutes. I'm watching people do burpees and jumping jacks and all kinds of stuff around me. And I'm thinking, why are they doing like, it's insane to me that people want to be so inefficient when it comes to their fitness. I just want to like shake them and be like, dude, this is so easy. Mike, just do it for two years. And literally, you'll blow your own mind and everybody else's mind. So good. Yeah. I want to circle back to something that you were talking about, about the guy that gets divorced and then, and then freaking turns it on. You know, Karen, and I run a couples community. I, we were talking about this a while back. I'd love to have you and Nineveh come, come speak, but even more now that I hear that, because that's one of those, like, that's one of those moments where, you know, it doesn't have to be divorce. It doesn't have to be some kind of like, you know, big major cancer scare, whatever it is. It can just be these little things. But when it comes to, that psychology around, you know, I've, I've, I've already, I've already got the girl and falling into falling into that. Have you ever specifically, that just seems like something that everybody needs to hear. And I don't know what the question even is here, but is there like, do you see people wake up when, because of that, or is this just until they have their awakening? Dude, I, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of times people have to hit rock bottom to bounce up, right? And I don't think people need to, like, if you're an aware person, you don't need to do that. But people are unaware. I've had multiple guys, you know, they're like, they're, they're just like a mess because, because it seemingly comes out of left field, right? Their wife goes off and, you know, does something in their, in their worldview, right? Yeah. And they're like, John, it was, uh, it was, 
completely out of left field. I didn't see it coming. In fact, one guy told me he thought that, you know, they had the best year they've ever had in his mind. And uh, in her mind, obviously, it was something different. And it could go opposite too. I, I'm, I mostly work with men. We do have, yeah. to, uh, you know, probably 20% of the clients are females, but I hear these stories more from men. And there's this giant awakening in this pain that then they realize that they want to become their most elite self. And it's usually not for the, the, the reason I want it. It's because as the evolution would have it, it's like they fundamentally know if A, they're going to show her and get revenge or B, they want to find someone better and you know they know they're going to date again. They essentially know that representing their best selves is going to help them attract another mate. I, I realized that this when I was 16 too, because yes, I got crushed in the gym and because I was weak, but there was, there was people's like, Oh, you wanted to get strong to play football. No, that was not it. I wanted to get strong because I knew that there was going to be hot tub parties with the cheerleaders. And I essentially knew that the scrawny little weakling is not the one that's going to get is not the pick of the litter, right? There's a, there's a hierarchy that most people want to like act like it doesn't exist. And so when people get divorced, it's like, they snap back into that kind of uh, reptilian brain where it just makes sense to get their shit together, right? And so uh, I I believe that, you know, know what would be really hard to divorce? Someone who represents excellence in everything they do. That would be a very hard person. Like someone who, who has the charisma, someone who has the influence, someone has the leadership, someone that, you know, uh, you know, brings ultimate respect to that spouse, respects themselves. And ultimately, you know, you just don't see a lot of that. And so I think fitness, like it is, yeah, there's fitness everywhere. But if you were really to look at fitness from that point of view, why wouldn't you want to represent the most excellent version of you? Because if you did, then it would, you, you'd be, you'd be an asset to your spouse, you'd be an asset to the workplace, you'd be an asset to your friend group, it'd be very hard for someone to want to want to, you know, just let you go. Yeah, so true. Kara, Kara and I are working right now on a a program. I haven't even talked about this out loud, really. Um, This would be the first time the audience is even hearing it. But I've got a program that we're rolling out here shortly called couples IO. And what IO stands for is input output. In the tech world, IO is a big term input equals output. And one of the reasons why we're creating this is to just have, you know, in our businesses, we have all this training, we go to conferences, we go to events, we're spending team meetings all day, we're putting all this energy. And I thought about this years ago, when I would spend eight to 10 to 12 hours every day with my team. And then I'd come home and I'd be, you know, exhausted, wasted, and my family gets the leftovers, right? Well, when I think about all the work we put into vision and mission and planning and strategy and just, you know, meetings, and then you look at like, what do we do for each other, whether it's date night, weekly meetings, any of that. And so this program is called Couples IO, Input Equals Output. And I was literally talking about this the other day. I mean, how many times is the big argument at home is like, you know, she doesn't want to put out or we don't have enough sex or whatever. And it's like, you look at the other side of that and the conversation's always like, well, what are you doing? Input equals output. And one of one of the guys that I was talking to, a marketing guy, he was like, you know, this is perfect because she doesn't put out because you're not putting in and having this whole conversation around it. But when you're saying this though, this is just another pillar and component of couples IO. But when I think about everything that you're saying, if nothing else, that when you're talking about that excellent spouse, and showing up for her and the energy. I mean, even just back to the sex conversation, um, if if I'm fat and lazy and tired and can't, you know, my heart rate can't rise for more than 30 seconds, I'm probably not a fulfilling spouse in so many ways. And I, I don't know, I think it's just so timely with the couples IO too, because, you know, health is one of the things that we talk about with the couples, but you're just really driving this home for me because just like we owe it to our spouse to bring the energy to our finances, our meetings, the vision around the family, um, everything that we do, you've shifted this for me. I owe it to Kara to be healthy, vibrant, energetic, all of the above. Yeah, you do. You do. And, and you owe it to yourself to to see what you're capable of too, right? It's like we 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 understand that we're on this uh, spinning rock for a certain amount of time. And it's like, 
why why not see which limits we can take our business to, which limits we can take our relationship to, and which limits we can take our our help to, mm-hmm. right? In, in essence, otherwise we're we're just allowing ourselves to play at a lesser potential than is within us. And so I, I do think that uh, number one, you owe it to yourself. Number two, uh, you do owe it to your spouse and you do owe it to your kids, right? I always say that, um, you know, Jasmine, our five-year-old is going to walk into the house and she's all, she's always going to have this image of a man that I'm not, it's not words, right? It's, it's this image that she sees until she's 18 years old and beyond, right? When she's out of the house, I want her to come back in the house and, and dad's still jacked, right? Like he's a superhero, Right. She doesn't have to go to Marvel to see a superhero. Marvel is on the couch. Right. And he's not on the couch a lot, but when, you know, he's, he's on the couch and she, he's at the dinner table and he's in the backyard and Marvel is her dad, not, not a superhero fictitiously in the movie. And everybody else, their kids have to go to the movies to see a superhero. My kids, uh, they just have to go to the dinner table. They just have to come home. You know, so good. Yeah, I I love that. I'm going to interrupt the episode here for a minute and you're going to hear this toward the end. But just in case you don't make it, I want to let you know that John and Nineveh have committed to come and speaking to the next level couple virtual community. And so I wanted to take a minute to invite you to the community because you do not want to miss this couple speaking as a couple together because they are dynamic. And as you can hear, as John's talking through the importance of you know, making your wife or your husband a priority. Hearing these two speak together is going to be amazing. This is the kind of speaker that you get to hear in the Next Level Couple community. Couples like this on health, fitness, finance, wealth, investing, all kinds of areas. Go to nextlevelcouple.com. We are going to be opening up the community here shortly, probably in early July. We'll only open it up maybe two, three times a year. Um, the community has just been amazing. So we hope to join you. Go to nextlevelcouple.com and sign up for the wait list and we will see you soon. It's month to month, not a whole lot of commitment, not a whole lot of challenge, but it is an amazing room. And again, we have amazing speakers and you get to spend time with Kara and I. So what else could you ask for? Nextlevelcouple.com. I have a question for you. So you know, I know some of my audience are pretty fit and healthy guys. And I get this conversation that comes up a lot. What is your advice to somebody who is on a health journey and their spouse isn't necessarily there? How do you, I know that's the other side of the coin, but what what do you do? What do you do in that perspective? Because I'm sure you see that a lot too. Yeah, dude. I mean, a, a spouse is either an asset or an anchor, right? In business and fitness and life. And, and so a lot of times, one of the hardest situations is a spouse not on board. And a lot of times, whether, whether that's money, right? Like sometimes people, you know, a guy will want to sign up for a, for a, you know, program that's going to help him make more money. And the spouse is like, oh, don't spend money on that. Right. And, and essentially, it's not necessarily the spouse's fault, like maybe like 1% of the time. But the reason they feel that way is because they don't trust you. Right. And so a lot of times in health, if it's something new, and all of a sudden you're on this health kick, they're just rolling the, their eyes in the back of their head because it's like, it's a 15th time dude has tried, said he's going to do something and he never follows through. Yeah. And so part of the resistance sometimes is they, you're just a liar, right? Like you're, you're just a liar and you're, and you're going to have to prove yourself uh, not a liar for them to really get on board. Yeah. Right. And then other times it's like, they're just not into it in the moment. Right. But I promise you, like what we tell our people, a lot of times guys come home and they're like, oh, I'm doing this thing. And then, hey, wife, by the way, like we can't, we, we, I can't eat your meals anymore. Right. When you go to the grocery store, you got to like get this, 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 and this. And like you, you start making her life more difficult based on your goals. And then there's an expectation that she's the one that has to like make your, your life really easy. And I'm like, dude, that's not going to work. What happens is you come in here and you're like, babe, this has nothing to do with you. You can do it if you want to do it. But essentially, uh, this is important to me for X, Y, and Z. And uh, you don't have to do anything different. I might not eat the same meals. Doesn't mean I don't love you. I still love you. I still thank you for wanting to cook for me. But I, for, for this moment in time, I have to do it this way. And if they do it that way, and it might be 
possibly annoying in the beginning, but 12 weeks later, when uh dude starts like really transforming before her eyes, and like there's there's uh, a vibrance back that was missing, she's on board. One of my one one of the other stories that I love is there was a, a woman who we signed up. This was, you know, I wasn't even this is way into the business where I wasn't doing sales calls. So, you know, I, I was barely knowing this person was in the program. We have, you know, over 500. And she finds me on Instagram, sends me a message. He was a father and they're, they're a family of five kids. So family of seven. And she's like, John, thank you so much for the program. My hubby's on week, week 12. Uh, I can't tell you how much zest for life you've put back into his life and the transformation she showed his pictures. He wasn't even showing me. And she's like, she was just thanking me, right? And, and that's the right way to do it, right? He didn't pull her into it. She didn't have to do anything. He made a decision for himself that he was going to represent excellence in himself. And then ultimately, she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're not going like th this bus isn't leaving without me. I want on the bus too. And if a person does it right, that's essentially going to be the outcome because the spouse doesn't want you to take off into this excellent bill without them. They usually just think you're full of shit in the beginning and you're actually not going to do it. And so once you get over that hump, it's like all of a sudden that same spouse that was very resistant starts seeing husband start popping out abs and, you know, now his confidence is back. The homegirl is going to be like, wait, 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 wait. Well, I, I want mine too. And it can work out the other, you know, the opposite is true too. But, um, usually an, a resistant spouse is detrimental to the relationship, but there's usually probably a, a good reason for that too, until you flip the script. Yeah. So you were talking earlier about your dad and we didn't dive into this much, but your dad actually, I mean, sounds like had a pretty big impact and, and, you know, when you were working out with your dad and stuff. So my next question, you know, Karen and I are fully convinced that, you know, the majority of problems that exist in this day and age are because of the breakdown of the family unit anyway, which I think everything that you're saying, um, you know, health can't not help fix that. But when it comes to like raising strong children and hearing the story about your daughter, um, man, that's just a whole other drive. My kids are young adults at this point. And fortunately, they are, they're all pretty, you know, cognizant around health and, and all of that. And I think they owe, I probably 90% of that to Kara and 10% and to me. But um, when's, when's too young? That's probably a loaded round question. But what's your thoughts on like integrating the kids into health and and the impact on all of that? I just heard you talking about your dad and and the way that shaped it. And now as we're bringing this full circle, I can't imagine that this is anything but good when it comes to helping kids progress when they're young. Yeah. So so my journey in the fitness realm uh, after the NFL, I essentially got sent home when I was 27 years old. And the first thing I did was go back home to Salt Lake City and open up a performance gym. Ultimately, what I wanted to do is, is uh, I, I was at a 24-hour fitness, and I saw uh, uh, I, I saw two kids with like football, their local high school football shirts on, getting trained by this trainer who was essentially just making them do a bunch of stuff that I was like, that's not what the kids need, right? They 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 just wasted an hour of their life, and so I got this idea, this download, and I'm like, go back home, open up a gym, show the kids what they really need, and so I opened this gym up. And became this, this gym in Salt Lake City that would had, you know, hundreds of high school age kids and middle school age kids. And that that turned into, you know, World Series champions flying in and NFL combine guys training for the combine would fly in. And I do that stuff for the top, top athletes for a while. But essentially, I've had tens of thousands, I, I don't know how many hours, at least 10,000 hours training middle school and high school kids. And so, as those kids see their parents live a healthy life, it, it's going to be very natural for them to live a healthy life. But if you're asking like, what, what's too young to get them start getting involved in the weight room and stuff like that? Well, uh, I, I would say that, you know, body weight stuff when they're 10 years old, eight, I mean, they're, they're playing sports at eight, so they can do pushups, they can do pull-ups, they can do lunges. You're not going to be loading them up with, you know, squatting with bars on their back and stuff like that. But essentially, uh, a lot of body weight stuff until they're probably 13, then, then some light loaded stuff, uh, dumbbells, few barbell stuff. But by the time they're, they're 16 years old, they should be fully integrated and know their way around the weight room. And it, and 
it was a magical moment in my life. It wasn't the most financially rewarding um, time in my life, but that was some of the biggest impact I've ever had as a human being on this earth was spending my time with those kids. I, I would literally be the trainer in the morning until nine o'clock at night. I still have some kids that are playing in the NFL that I got when they were in seventh grade. They're, they're NFL stars right now. Wow. And I got them when they were skinny little tw twigs. But it was like, I knew the mentality and also had the strength and conditioning background at that point to, to put them through some stuff. So it's a great question. Uh, my, I have a daughter. And so I, I love, you know, to start incorporating some of that, you know, some of the body weight strength type stuff, gymnastics as early as she wants. And then when she gets really, you know, serious about, uh, you know, stuff, probably 12, 13 years old, you can get a little more serious. Wow. You know what? This is the first time I've ever lost track of time. Like, do you have a hard stop at three? No, dude, I'm, I'm good, man. Whatever. Okay. We can I, go for a minute. Yeah. I've, I've literally never, I'm just like, oh my God, it's three o'clock. Um, yeah, I, I won't keep you too much longer, but yeah, it's super, super valuable, man. And, um, trying to think what else is there. Sorry. I, I was like worried about the three o'clock. No this has been good. What do you want to cover that we haven't anything? Yeah, no, man, like that there was, uh, you know, just just to kind of probably fill in that story. People's like, dude, how do you how do you, you know, you go from snow college to the NFL? Yeah. Like what, what happened in that, in that little time? And so essentially, um, I walk on, I don't know how to play football. And I redshirt that year because I was like, dude, I don't I, you know, I didn't even know what a cover two was. Last time I played was literally they just hand me the football I'd run. And so I take a year to learn. And I, I stay in the weight room. And then ultimately I play that next year as a freshman and I'm not a star, but I'm like the, the coaches start to see this ability. Right. And so essentially I didn't play as much as I wanted to. I was a cocky young kid. That's like, dude, I should be playing more, you know, these coaches, blah, blah, blah. If I could go back in time, I'd smack myself. But I, I had this belief that was like, that was building inside of me. And so there was a dude, Urban Meyer that just came to the university of Utah, which was my dream school. And, uh, there was an article in the papers that was like, uh, he, he was bashing his wide receiver core. He's like, we can win a lot of games, but not with this wide receiver core. So my dad sends it to me. He's like, you should go talk to him. And at this time, like, again, like I'm clueless, but what I did was something that most people won't do, right? There was no red carpet rolled out for me ever. And so I decide that I'm just going to go and drive up to the University of Utah and ask the talk to the coach. That's essentially like nobody does that, but I did it. And I got through this. I got through essentially the door somehow. And then there was a secretary. They're like, can I help you? And I'm like, yeah, I want to talk to coach Urban Meyer. And they're looking at me like, do you have an appointment? I'm like, no. And so it, one of the assistant coaches just happens to walk by and he like looks over there and uh, he's like, can I help you? And I'm like, I want to talk to coach Urban Meyer. I play for snow college and uh, I want to transfer. And again, I had the stature. I'm not a little guy. So it's looking at this six foot four dude. And so he's like, hold on a second. And so he goes away for five minutes, brings back and out comes Urban. And Urban's like kind of, you know, frustrated that he's getting pulled into something that wasn't on his, you know, regiment uh, <laughs> itinerary. And he's like, what's your story? And so I'm like, as fast as I can spill it. I'm like, I didn't play high school football. I'm at Snow College. I have a year left, but I want to transfer right now. Kansas State wants to fly me out next week. And I want to make a decision. And he's like, brings me into the office, gets me to slow down for a second, tell, tell the story. And ultimately, I get a shot to walk on for the University of Utah. Didn't have a scholarship. He's like, John, I promise you, if you, if you make this, if you make a difference for this squad, you won't pay for school. But I have no idea if you can play or not. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll figure that out. You're going to have to prove it to me. So I essentially went there for a year and uh, played, earned a scholarship. Got scholar, got school paid for, and um, at the end of that, I had NFL uh, agents and teams and all that good stuff. Essentially, tell me I was going to be a late first round, early second round draft pick, and so that meant that in about six months' time, I was going to have a million bucks in my pocket. And so at the time, I'm watching NFL cribs. I always had a little. Uh, as Kanye would say, passion for flashy. And so I have the Lambos picked out. Like I got it all in my mind, right? And three games to go, I break my leg and can't run for 10 months. And so overnight, like I remember being like, I remember my leg being broken, right? Like broken, broken, where they ended the tape and my foot just fell backwards, just flopping. 
And I'm in there and uh, they're like rapidly trying to like fix this thing and take me into surgery. And all I can ask through the pain is like how long I'm going to be out. Because it didn't register yet. That's like, this is a long process. Mm. Right? And they're like, maybe a year. And I'm like, a year. And then I just started like crying because I'm like, I have the NFL combine. I have this uh, all-star game I got to go to. This was where I was going to prove to people that I was going to do my deal. And so I I rehab like a madman. I don't, I, I can't run at the combine. Agents, they, they kind of write me off and essentially draft day comes and goes. And I got $5,000 in a plane ticket to, to Oakland as an undrafted free agent. Mm-hmm. And so I get to Oakland and Al Davis was the owner at the time. And essentially he's like, if, you, if you're going to make this squad, you're going to do it at tight end, not wide receiver. And so they had Randy Moss at the time and some other like Hall of Famers. And uh, so I, I played a position that I've never played before. And I was the only guy that year that made opening day roster scored a touchdown my rookie year was, you know, in week three playing on Monday night football at a position that was, you know, not even, I didn't even know how to play at the time. But essentially I tell everybody that to say, like, if I had a billboard that was like, here's what I want, or, or I could write something down on a napkin for my daughter, who's five. Like one of the things that for whatever reason, like I did and, and uh, God did, but like, I, I carried this out, right. Which was, I gave myself permission to go for it, right? And and nobody, no, there was no red carpet rollout. There was no scholarship. There was no glitz and glam for me to reach that point. I essentially just kept knocking on the door, whether it was, you know, Snow Junior College, University of Utah, Urban Meyer going there unannounced, Oakland getting there and putting me with a temporary locker because nobody with a temporary locker, they're expecting to, to stay a long time. And, uh, uh, that that's what I would pass to like my daughter is like, look, people might count you out. You might be unqualified for whatever you want to do, but like, you don't need validation for anybody else to to go for it. All you have to do is have the courage to do it. And most people, unfortunately, don't have that courage. So if you do have that courage, you can do whatever you want. So good, man. That's just amazing. What a great story, man. And I just, you know, I want to say to you, I've, it's just been a pleasure getting to know you. Thank you for coming on the show because this has been like super inspiring. Your story is inspiring. Um, man, this has just opened my eyes to so many things. I got to say this. So we're in a pod together with six other guys or seven guys or whatever. And one of my challenges was like to get a little bit more healthy. And so the guy said, you know, you need to send progress pics. And and so at that meeting that we were at, I took a picture of John's, John's body and I I cropped my head onto it. And that was my first progress pick that I sent out. So if you're watching the YouTube video, this might, that might be the, that might be the thumbnail is a picture of my head on John's body, but <laughs> that, that's the future you bro. That, but, yeah, I mean, like, yeah. That's the future you man. Except five, six, instead of six, five. You'll look, dude, you'll look more jacked though. That's the cool part. That's it. That's, that's the one reason I, I uh, envy short guys sometimes is like, they're, they're a little more compact. And so I don't love being like, skinny and so it's 240 pounds i still feel a little bit thin sometimes so sometimes i'm a little jealous of the five six guy that just like has these muscles that pop yeah that's funny yeah well i appreciate you man i appreciate the way you show up so where can people find you yeah yeah so two places number one if you're interested anything about like superhuman and what that means like we got a really cool website supra s-u-p-r-a human h-u-m-a-n.com super easy That'll tell you all that there is to know about uh, the business side of things. Social, uh, John Madsen performance. I mean, not John Madsen performance. John Madsen official on Instagram is where I'm most active on social. And uh, that would probably be the two places because there you, you, there, you know, there's links to multiple different things, YouTube, podcasts, whatnot. But I share a lot of business stuff. And then also, you know, my, my personal philosophy on life and, ultimately a lot of fitness content too. So if you want to interact with me there, I'd love to see you. I'd love to interact with you and uh, help you any way that I can. Yeah, super cool, man. Well, I know Kara is a huge fan of Nineveh. And after this conversation, not to put you on the spot, but I think you guys should come speak to our couples community because that whole conversation around, you know, just, and watching you two, you're such an example of it. So that'd be cool. Well, dude, the, the cool thing is, it's like, we've been... Uh, we just celebrated nine years. And I told Nineveh the other day, like we have, we have like a warrior type of love 
right? Like we, we had to work on a lot of stuff in the, in the beginning because, you know, she, she was very independent. She's like, you know, she, she is one of the smartest women that I've ever known. Um, and we, in the beginning, I think like some couples, like there was, there was friction that we had to learn what we didn't know. And so I'm just really proud of us for, for, um, you know, going through all of that. The one thing that we've, that we've always done is we've had big dreams, right. And we've supported each other and we've been through a lot before this business kind of exploded for me. Nineveh was a news anchor on Salt Lake city. I always tell people that I'm i I'm one of the most powerful manifestors on the planet. I saw her face as a news anchor, most popular news anchor in Salt Lake city. She won TV news hottie. They probably don't have those awards anymore, but she wants, she was seven years running as TV news hottie of the year. And in Salt Lake. And so I was gone, right? Like I was playing in the NFL. I came back, I was cut. And for whatever reason, the news is on. I'm like, dude, who, who is that girl? And I had this instant knowing I'm like, oh, we're going to meet someday. And uh, a couple months later, she walks into my gym. The rest is history. But, um, you know, we, we've, she would, she was very independent. She, she was a rock for me for a lot of years. She literally, why my business was like, I felt like I could go make more money working at McDonald's for three years, she was the one that was holding it together. And so I have to give her a lot of credit because she she is like, she's a pillar of strength for for our family. And uh, so, you know, if you'd love to have us, we we've, you know, we're, we're not newlyweds, it's not a, it's not a year out. So we do have some experience, but I wouldn't say that we're the the relationship experts, but we can we can speak on that if you want us to. Yeah, no, I think that would be great. So if you're interested in the couples community, go to nextlevelcouple.com before we get John and Nineveh, because I think those are the kind of conversations that we really need to be having, John, is like, you know, there are, Karen and I are not relationship coaches either. We're just creating an environment where um, we bring in couples like you that have really gone through the, you've, you've gone through the stuff, man. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we have. And that, and like, I don't think perfection exists in anything, right? It's, it's figuring out how to be better every single day. And so we, we, we do have that as a, you know, a core philosophy in both of us. So we love to, man, we love you guys. And she loves, she loves uh, your wife and man, I, I really, I really love you. And so we'd love to do a lot of stuff together, man. Cool. Appreciate it. Well, thanks for being on the show, man. I'll, uh, I'll let you go. And again, I apologize about losing track of time. It just, that's the first time it's ever happened. All good, man. I'm got nowhere to be, but here. So thank you, brother. Thanks. If you've found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.